Hello, everyone, again. Welcome to my podcast, The Rise and Fall of the Qing Dynasty, Cup of Solid Gold. And this is episode two, and I've named it, appropriately, I believe, The Founding Father. I think it is best to start this conversation with the question, who were the Qing? On the most basic level, we could look at the Mandarin symbol, the written symbol, the traditional Mandarin written symbol for Qing, and it means clear, pure, distinct. There's even a water element to the symbol. But I realize this does not tell us who the Qing were, what the Qing were, and where they came from. Also, we have to understand that China has 56 ethnic groups, 56 minorities. So it's a very diverse country. The Han Chinese are the majority. The Qing were one of the other 55 minorities or ethnic groups in China. Now, some histories I've looked at have an interesting viewpoint of the Qing dynasty. And from this broad perspective, one group of scholars look at the Qing invasion and conquest of China as they were foreign occupiers because they were not Han Chinese and they had no right to China. Therefore, when they lost it, they didn't lose anything because they didn't have the, they didn't have the right in the first place to possess or conquest China. The second group of scholars acknowledged that the Qing were foreign occupiers. However, they had long admired, that is the Qing had long admired the Ming administrative apparatus, and they quickly adopted and adapted to many of the Ming ways. So they became sinicized very quickly and part of China. Synonymous with the word Qing is the word Manchu, or in Mandarin, Manju. But they really wouldn't be called the Manju, until after the conquest of China. So at this point, all we can say with certainty is that the Qing were not Han Chinese and the Qing were not Ming. Because it was the Han Chinese that ruled the Ming dynasty. So to define the Qing, I think the best way to do this is to talk about the person that is referred to as its founding father. And his name is Nuar Hachur. Nuar Hachur. Now, before we go any further into this, I want to clarify and explain something. There are many materials 
on the Qing dynasty that do not refer to Nuar Hachur as the emperor of the Qing. And that would be correct to some extent. There's also many materials on the Qing dynasty that refer to Nuar Hachur as the first emperor and of, of, of uh, the Qing. And that would be correct as well. Let me explain. During the time that Nuar Hachur lived, the Ming were still the ruling dynasty in China. In fact, Nuar Hachur died before the Ming had lost control of China. So whatever Nuar Hachur had as an emperor, per se, was over the Qing dynasty and whatever that entailed. The same will go with the next person we will talk about, which is his son. But that story is later. I want to make it perfectly clear that I consider Nuar Hachur as the first emperor of the Qing dynasty, recognizing, of course, that Nuar Hachur never was the emperor of China, per se. It's probably not even important to get hung up on whether or not Nuar Hachur is the first emperor of the Qing or first emperor of something or not even an emperor. It doesn't change the story it doesn't really make any difference in what the Qing became. So if we count Nuar Hachur as a Qing emperor, there were 13 of them during the entire reign of the Qing dynasty. Okay, who was this Nuar Hachur fellow? Well, he was believed to be born in, in the year 1559, to one of the five Nujin tribes that occupied the region that was outside of China on its northeast border. That area geographically has been described as east of the Chinese border, east of the Changbai or White Mountains, and north of the Yalu River, excuse me, Yalu River. Today, the Yalu River is what defines the border between China and North Korea. I looked at my map, and the area I just described might have been in Korea. Perhaps it was then. Perhaps the river changed directions. I don't know. Anyways, that's the description I have. That area that I described is now within China's jurisdiction, and it comprises three of its furthest northeast provinces, Heilongjiang, Jilin, and Liaoning provinces. And as I said, these make up the extreme northeast part of present-day China. However, at the time of the Ming Dynasty, these were not part of China. They were not under Ming, they were not under Ming control or jurisdiction. However, they were considered to be part of the Ming suzerainty. Therefore, whoever led this region was expected to pay a regular tribute to the Ming emperors. The Ming would call this area Manzhou, or as we call it in the West, Manchuria. Manzhou today, as I said, represents those parts, those three provinces of China. And at the time of the Ming, it was populated by five Nujin tribes, and these tribes were indigenous to that area, 
and had been located in that area for a very long time. In fact, and this is interesting, and I did not know this until I began the research for this podcast, is that the Manjus ruled over China briefly in the 12th and 13th centuries as the Qin Dynasty. These tribes had a long relationship with Mongolia. And in fact, they would have considered themselves more like Mongols than Chinese. And like the Mongols, they were exceptional horsemen and archers. They excelled at falconry. They were pastoral, step-like people. The men would have a distinctive physical characteristic, and that is they would shave their foreheads and leave the back of their head unshaved and draw all the hair into a long ponytail or a queue. It was also believed they spoke, they spoke some kind of a Mongol language. Also fascinating is that the Nugent tribes did not observe the ancient practice of primogenitor. And this, of course, is the practice where the oldest surviving male inherits everything from their fathers. The Nugents or the Manjus did not believe in that. Instead, they believed that any capable living male heir could inherit from their fathers. And this is a key distinction that we'll get into later. So Nuar Hatcher was born to these people. And he associated himself with a family name. And this is important. And the name is Aishin Jilo. Aishin Jilo. Probably not so important that you learn how to say that other than to recognize what that name is. Aishin Jilo is the name that all the Qing emperors could trace their heritage. This royal name, if you will, is no different than the European royal family's names that we all know of, like the Plantagenets and the Tudors and the Bourbons and the Habsburgs. Same thing. So Nuar Hatcher's full name would be, and this is going to be fun, and remember, Chinese, the family name, Excuse me, the family name comes first, followed by the given name. His full name would have been Aishin Jilo Nuar Hachur. Aishin Jilo Nuar Hachur. That's a mouthful, but I don't know about you, but it's kind of fun to say. He must have grown up fast because the records show that his father and grandfather were killed very early in his life. And he believed the Ming had done this or had caused this without cause. And he would harbor a grudge against the Ming for the rest of his life because of this. He grew up near a town called Fushun, which is near present-day Shenyang, China, in Liaoning Province in northeast China. It, all, it has also been stated that he may have been able to speak not, not only his native language, but also Mandarin. He must have become very smart and became a very capable leader because he is credited with uniting all five of these Nugent tribes and making them into a cohesive political entity. And what is the one thing that you would do if you created a political entity? Well, that is you create an army. And he did that. 
He would create an army out of the Nugents or the Manjus, Mongols, and other ethnic Chinese. Nuar Hatcher is also credited with creating a functional legal system in Manjo, as well as a Manjo language. That area and his region conducted vigorous trade in fur, pearls, ginseng, and mining goods, particularly with Korea and Mongolia. He called himself the brilliant emperor, nurturer of all nations, and he believed he had received, no surprise here, the mandate of heaven. The Nujin or Manju relationship with the Ming had been on and off hot and cold for many, many decades. While the Manjus paid their annual tribute, as they were expected to, to the Ming, they also created lots of trouble for them on the border, on the northeast border with China. Nurar Hachur, seizing on what he believed was the opportunity, requested the Ming government indemnify him for the killing of his father and grandfather. Now, I don't know if there is or was a response to this request. If there was, I didn't come across it. Nonetheless, no indemnity was paid. During this time that he solidified his base in Manjo, he had three wives, numerous concubines, mostly chosen or taken from prominent Nugent families. He had 16 known sons and at least four daughters. So he was busy. He is credited, however, with his biggest accomplishment, which was in the early 17th century, with creating the eight banner system. And this banner is no different than a sign banner or a cloth banner or, or whatever banner you think about. And this was primarily a patrilineal military entity. In other words, this was bannermen were selected by the emperor. They were usually his sons or other capable male heirs. And they would pass on their banner to their male heirs. He expanded the concept of the bannerman to not from the military to also into administrative state functions as well as taxation functions. And the banners consisted of eight distinguishing colors. And each Manju household would have been placed under one of these banners. And they would have been subject to that banner's rules and regulations. And within that banner, they conducted censuses, they, they, they caused taxation and collected taxes, and they would also populate an army. The banner system was the backbone of early Qing dynasty. Initially, Nuar Hatcher only created four banners, the yellow, white, blue, and red. They, these would have been plain yellow, plain white, plain blue, plain red. And three of his sons and a nephew would have been in charge of those. Eventually, he created another four banners, and these would have been the bordered banners, the bordered yellow, the bordered white, the bordered blue, and the bordered red. And they were also given to capable male heirs. The yellow banners were the most desirable and the most important. 
they had the most clout. Then I understand the white ones were next. And as I stated, the succession of these banners were to the bannerman's male heirs. In 1611, Nuar Hachur had had it with the Ming and stopped paying tribute to them. I'm not sure why he did that, but we all know that things were not going well for the Ming dynasty at that time. So perhaps he saw this as a weakness and his opportunity to be able to do this. At about the same time, Nuarhachur moved the Manju capital further south towards China and into Shenyang, which is in Liaoning province. Then in 1616, he further organized his government into what he called Bailas. And these were essentially just a few people who would be like an executive council. And they would advise the emperor and make decisions. And they would rule by consensus, not by majority, but by consensus. And the Bela was populated by three of his most capable sons and one of his nephews. Also in 1616, Nuar Hachur declared that Manjo was officially now and forevermore independent from China. And he then proceeded to capture the town of Fushun, which you might recall was where he was born or near where he was born. At that time, Fushun still belonged to the Ming. And Nuar Hachur sacked it. And also around this period of time, he filed a document called the Seven Grievances. And this was given to the Ming. And it basically renewed his old claim that they were responsible for the killing of his father and grandfather. But it also complained that the Ming were not respecting the boundaries and borders with between the two of them, and they were not respecting the Manju envoys. While probably not intended as such, the Ming interpreted this, interpreted this as a declaration of war. The Ming were not too happy about this, so they decided they would send an, an army up there to teach the, the Qing a lesson and also to recapture this city. Though it's not clear why, in attacking the Manjus, the Ming army divided itself. This turned out to be a very bad strategic decision because it allowed New Archer and his army to fight each one of these divided units separately and defeat each one of these separately, which is what he did. And by 1621, Nuar Hachur had all but moved all the way into Liaoning province and leaving only a very small tip of that province within the Ming jurisdiction. Shortly after this, however, in 1626, Nuar Hachur would meet his fate in a small town called Ningyuan, which is in the southwest part of Liaoning province. 
in February 1626. He was wounded by the Ming, and he never recovered from his wounds, and he would die roughly seven months later on September 30th, 1626. He was 68 at the time, and he is buried in Shenyang, China. His eighth son would succeed him, and that son's name was Huang Taiji, or as he's referred to in some Western texts as Abahai. Oh, and incidentally, Nuar Hachur and the name I just mentioned, his son, Huang Taiji, are their personal names. Those are not their official emperor's names. So in summing this all up, I think Nuar Hachur rightfully be can, can be considered the right man at the right time for the Qing. He can be credited with making it possible that Manjo or Manchuria would one day become part of China. Nor can we forget his crowning achievement of creating the eight-banner system. And as I said, this system would be a foundation of the early Qing dynasty and allowed it to become what it eventually became. In the final analysis, I think Nuar Hacher deserves the emperor title. While he was not the emperor of China per se, he surely acted and believed that he was the emperor. And as he said himself, he believed he had the mandate of heaven. All right, with that, we'll end our discussion about Nuar Hacher. In the next episode, we will talk about his son and the story continues. Thank you.